Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to a special, but not really, episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Sean McGrath and Patrick Martin. We are here to talk about UConn men's basketball's early and abrupt end to the season, losing in the first round to 12-seed New Mexico State, 70-63. to uh, Many people, of course, had very high hopes for the Huskies this season, really from the, the beginning of the year. People thought, you know, maybe this wasn't a national championship contender, but they, they could do some damage. Uh, unfortunately, the run ends in the first round. Two straight years of the Huskies uh, losing their first round, exiting the NCAA in the first round. Two straight years, I would say, of disappointing performances, not just, you know, not just losing, but disappointing performances. Uh, Patrick, how are you feeling after after this this loss uh, Thursday night? Uh, I, I I feel brutal. It's it was one of those losses that it, it wasn't just the loss; it was the way they lost that that really killed it. Did did we ever think that they were really in the game? Um, you know, you you go down by ten at the half. You're you're down by as much as fourteen in the second half. I think we all knew they were going to come back, but there just there wasn't that spark with the team with the team that we have, you know, we grew accustomed to seeing throughout the year. That energy on defense, uh, it just was there. They were essentially like punched in the arm and or punched in the face and didn't really respond. Oh, you see, I'm actually a little bit surprised about the comeback. I didn't think that they were. Even, I didn't think that they were going to do that. The offense looks so disjointed and so terrible, especially after those two threes early in the second half. I did not think that they were going to come back. I thought, you know, maybe they bring it to eight. You know, once once New Mexico State started to ease up a little bit later in the game, I did not expect a tie game. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, you can't. You know, it was the. Is the Teddy Buckets game? You can't. Uh, they've had issues with that. You know that type of score with size that can really, you know, get their own shot. And you know that's something that Hurley's really going to have to look at, especially with Martin. You know, potent- Tyrese Martin potentially uh, leaving. Yeah, and especially with UConn, you know, purporting to be a defensively strong team, uh, to be a, a strong rebounding team. Both of those things. Um, showed up inconsistently, I guess. The, re- the rebounding was particularly disappointing. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about like, okay, well, we saw this a lot from UConn. They, they fell down. They got into these holes a bunch. Um, and, and the offensive struggles were a constant all season. My argument against that is just kind of like, okay, but that was against good teams. I thought the, the kind of the narrative of this UConn team was like, they definitely beat the teams they're supposed to, which was pretty good progress. And then against the better teams, they get into kind of these, these funks, these um, uh, b- bad stretches where they don't score for a long time. But for me, what's, what's disappointing about this is kind of like Patrick said, the way it happened, the fact that it, it's not a particularly high quality opponent, New Mexico State, with all due respect. Um, and and like, like you said, they, they were not even in this at all. They didn't have a lead. Uh, they, I think their last lead was in the, you know, very early in the first half and they never got it back. They tied it, which, you know, admirable fight, but, but of course not, not enough too late. Sonogo really struggled early on. Um, I thought, you know, RJ Cole was a little hesitant even early. It's, it felt like 
he should have done his assertive RJ Cole thing a little bit earlier in the first half. Um, I think there's a lot to kind of, you know, but uh, a really uh, break down further, but do you think there's something with the, with the way that the team prepares for the t- games like this? Like, you know, we also saw kind of a similar, um, a similar kind of performance against Maryland in the NCAA tournament last year, where it just was like, what was the prep here? You know, what was the game plan? What were you doing? Do you see any parallels between this year and Maryland, or do you think kind of they're, they're completely different? I think that they're more similar than they probably should be. You know, the last year, uh, I don't have the, um, I don't have the numbers right off the top of my head, but you know, they out, how many, how many more shots did they get than Maryland? You know, it was like 12 more shots than Maryland did last year. But, you know, they still, you still lose by, you know, seven. You know, you're, you, you take this game against New Mexico State where, you know, New Mexico State has some size, especially with Allen. But you're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country, one of the best rebounding teams in the country. New Mexico, New Mexico State's pretty solid at those things too, but they were doing it in the whack. You know, you're doing it against Villanova, who's a two seed. You're doing it against, several NCAA tournament teams week in and week out, you know, you have that advantage. You need to use it. Sonogo, you know, there, I, it was 18 to 11 rebounds in the first half takes you 18 minutes to get one offensive rebound. That's not a, that's not how UConn wins. You know, they're not going to let you on fire offensively in the half court. They need to, you need to, they need to make, take those misses and grab offensive rebounds to get second, third opportunities. And they just were not doing that. And they didn't really do it in either game. And these are the two big games, neutral site games that they've played, you know, postseason games. It's a one game sample each year. But when you when you look at it two years in a row, you lose to an inferior, arguably inferior opponent with similar issues. There's some parallels there. I think this is a team that is almost so self-aware that it's detrimental they know that they are not great offensively. They know that they struggle to get shot, you know, shots to fall. So I think when Sonogo misses a bunny, um, you know, Cole can't get going, they almost play themselves into, like they kind of force their own reality where they, they play themselves into this funk and it affects their defense. Um, I thought, you know, Martin did, Martin and Jackson did do a good job on, on, on Teddy buckets. He, he hit some very tough shots, but I, I, I think they were prepared. It's just, I think they psyched themselves out a little bit. And a lot of it, I think was just also uh, an incredibly hot New Mexico state team. I looked it up. Well, they went 11 of 17 from three, 64.7%. Uh, Johnny freaking McCants hits one. That was that was the moment I knew it was not happening when he hits that wide open three. That's a shot that Hurley would give them 10 times out of 10, and he nails that. Uh, he's a 24.3% shooter. So, you know, they were forced. And I looked it up. The, you know, New Mexico State's best win of the year was against Davidson. That was their, you know, their, their notable win, non-conference win. They went 11 of 25 against Davidson from three, 44%. So 
Like it, that, that is such an outlier that I really don't want to nail them down for being unprepared. I instead just think that they, they need to be more resilient. I think about like, Hey, our defense will, you know, defense will keep you in this game. And I think because they were so shaky on offense, it affected their defense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point about, you know, they're unbelievably solid three point shooting. The fact that the fact that Teddy Allen hit a number of just outrageously contested shots um, it seemed like defensively they they had a decent hold on him at the beginning of the game, uh, and then things got a little out of hand. But, um, you know, we mentioned the one-game sample of, of it all. Um, you know, that's fine, but they got destroyed, right? Like, you, this game was not ever close, right? If, if, if New Mexico State has this kind of shooting performance and that makes it a closer game than it should have been and – you know, it's one of those games where, like, they trade the lead back and forth and UConn loses at the end. Oh, well, that's one thing. This was this was a really a, a domination, which, again, is not something that we had seen happen to UConn in a game this year. I don't think we can say, I mean, maybe, like, one of the Creighton games comes to mind. Um, but but otherwise, I feel like against, again, against the teams they were supposed to beat, UConn really mostly was taking care of business. Um, that's to me, what's, what's going to be most disappointing about this. And then look, it's, it's a fan base that still has high expectations. Um, Dan Hurley is now under a little bit of heat. Um, I'm not sure if that's, uh, um, you know, I'm not sure if that amount is fully warranted, but I mean, what do you guys think? There's, there's definitely some heat on Hurley right now. I think after the way this has gone down. Yeah, I think the if I think if you think that Hurley needs to be fired, I think you should probably chill out a little bit. Don't for, don't forget where we were four years ago, like ranked one seventy eight in Ken Palm and recruiting for the American Athletic Conference. Now you're recruiting for the Big East, and in four in you know in year one Hurley gets into the top one hundred. Next year you're you're in the top fifty, and then you're on the bubble. And now you're you're here, and now you're in the end of the tournament. And a win would have been great. A win would have been great. But th- this is very not bringing a program back from that kind of death is so nonlinear. Because you, especially with COVID, because you have you know, Polly and Whaley weren't supposed to be here this year, and you know, multiply that by all of the other teams. Gillespie shouldn't be here. You know, th- the landscape looks so much different than it should have. And you, it is impossible to determine, you know, the roster is so crowded. It's impossible to determine what, what impact COVID had and, you know, how things would have slowed down because, you know, they were on the bubble in the COVID year and who knows what would have happened in the conference tournament. You know, if they had gotten, a, if they had gone, gotten on a run, gotten hot and gotten a winner or two, you know, which isn't out of the question, how, how differently do we feel about him? You know, I think that the big, I think that the big sticking point is, the 0-2 record in the, in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, it's it stinks, but it's two games out of, you know, this, the 100-something that he's coached as a, as a team, as a, you know, as head coach at UConn. I don't know. It's it's also four years. He, he hasn't had a true Big East recruiting class yet. That will come this year. It's, it's so unbelievably too early. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um... 
you know, take a step back from the ledge, everybody. Um, the, the larger body of work speaks for itself, as Sean said. Um, however, however, you know, UConn's best assistant, Kamani Young, is probably out the door this, uh, this offseason. And I think he, Dan Hurley really needs to take a look in the mirror and, and, and say, I need to bring somebody in that can provide an X's and O's, you know, in-game uh, management because that has been his biggest weakness so far, I think. You know, he can recruit in the Big East, which I, I, I almost want to give him you know, not as much credit for that because you kind of got back in the Big East. I'm pretty sure Kevin Ollie could have pulled the recruits that Hurley has if they were back in the big East. Um, but he, he's bringing them in. He's bring he's locked down the region, New England and the Northeast and everything. But yeah, I mean, his, his, his the warts are very obvious. And I think that the number one storyline in the off season will be, you know, who replaces Kamani young with it. They, we saw how, you know, UConn's best win of the year, Dan Hurley was watching from the bathroom in the locker room. So that, you know, that it's not fair to put all that on him, but this, I think it is fair to say that some adjustments need to be made. Um, you know, for a coach, you, you, he's, you know, we, we love him for his emotion and his energy on the sidelines, you know, you, but you got to have some, yeah, you have to think too. You, there has to be some strategy. It can't just be all emotion. And I think we saw that with this UConn team that was kind of thrived off the energy, but when they were throwing a curveball, they didn't really know how to hit it. And, um, you know, going, going back to what Sean said, I, I'm pretty sure that 10 point deficit at the half, the only other time UConn was down at the half. By that much was Providence and Villanova, the, the the two losses, and so I think that was some unfamiliar territory that they didn't really know how to navigate. All the, you know, because they are so talented and athletic, they they were in every game that they were in. They never really had a you know that happened to them. So no, is is hurt you know early on the hot seat or whatever. No, relax, but. I do think that some adjustments need to be made. Yeah. I mean, the X's and O's thing I think is, is a fair critique. And, and also it's, as we kind of have been discussing, it's like, it's definitely not the reason they lost to New Mexico state in this ball, in this one ball game. Um, The impending potential departure of Kimani young is, is an interesting component. And um, I think they'll have a number of off season questions really, as it relates to the team and the roster. But I do want to just add, you know, in this conversation about having perspective about where, where Hurley has taken the team. Yeah. Becoming a lock for the NCAA tournament when they did that's progress, you know, and that's the kind of stronger tangible progress. That's good that we like to see. And at the end of the day, this is one less win than I think most could have penciled them in for. Um, If, if UConn had won this game last night, they're playing uh, an Arkansas team that is quite dangerous that I think we would all be very fearful about and that probably UConn would not be favored in. I think all of those things would be fair to say if, if, um, if UConn were to advance. And so 
would have been nice to get that win to advance to just have Dan Hurley be able to say that, but um, I'll just agree with both of you that, yeah, I mean, the, the, the extent to which people want to criticize Hurley as like the, not the right man for the job uh, is, is very overblown. Um, and the impact of him having a kind of full cycle of recruits is, is going to be profound. And at the end of the day, college hoops is a, ta- is a talent game. Um, you know, it's, it's really about who's got better people lined up against the others. Um, of course you want to be, uh, well-organized and, and uh, maximizing that talent. But I think for the most part, Hurley has shown that he has maximized the talent that he has on hand, especially his early years at UConn. But even now, um, you know, the ceiling of this team is not very much higher than, than where they ended up bowing out. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Like even if they do beat Arkansas, okay, cool. You're a sweet 16 team and you get blown out the gym by Gonzaga. Like, you know, like, even if you, even if you do come out of that pod and make it to the second weekend, you're not, you're not going any farther than that without an absolute miracle without Drew Timmy and or Chet Holmgren exploding into bits. Right. So then, you know, recognizing that, that we're not ready to fire Dan Hurley here on this podcast. Um, and, and again, probably anyone who feels that way should probably chill out a little um, that all of that being said, this is going to be a very interesting off season. Um, I think the roster has some, some holes that, uh, are, are really apparent that need to be discussed. Even if, even if everyone that can stay stays, which, you know, Sean, you kind of brought it up. COVID put a little bit of a wrench, uh, pun not intended or Isaiah Whaley reference, not intended, but did really put a little bit of a wrench in, in roster planning. Um, and I think we could also say that with all due respect, you know, someone like Tyler Polly is maybe an example of someone who just kind of was there, was not a huge impact player, except when he, except for those brief moments where he was, um, but maybe someone who, you know, the program might've moved on from in a more reasonable time. And that could have freed things up for someone like Hawkins to be a bigger contributor or maybe a cook to get more minutes or what, whatever, but Anyway, um, looking at this offseason and the roster, what do you guys think are some of the biggest questions this, this team is facing? Um, who handles the ball? You know, RJ Cole played, you know, 30-something minutes a game as a primary ball handler. We saw how it looked when Gaffney was in and he was out. It was not tremendous. Now, Hurley has shown a propensity to develop players. Look at what, what Isaiah Whaley looked like under – Kevin Ollie and what he looked like this year and last year, especially. So maybe Gaffney takes the jump, but you know, you can't count on that with what he's shown the past two seasons. So who's going to handle the ball? Are you, is Hawkins going to handle the ball? Is a, you know, as a person who gets his own, doesn't know how to get his own shot and more touch and shoot guard, probably not. So who is it? Are you, they're almost definitely going to have to go into the portal and get somebody. Uh, otherwise it's going to be really interesting to see how this offense clicks. And, you know, if you thought that the offense wasn't great with Cole running the point, what is it going to look like next year without him? Assuming he leaves, which I don't know why he would stay. Yeah, I, I echo that point guard. I mean, for the first time in, I mean, when was the last time UConn had a point guard vacancy? Right. I, I mean, I can't even think of like 
I, I, I honestly cannot think back to a time when it was such a dire need. Um, I, look, and I was all aboard the Rasul Diggins train throughout the year. I thought he should have gotten more time earlier in the year when you were blowing teams out non-conference. He did not look ready in the mop-up minutes that he got. Um, although, to be fair, it's hard to to look good in those mop-up minutes, especially if you're playing with other reserves, other teams trying to save grace and just play for pride at that point. Um, you have to hope that maybe some combination of Diggins, Gaffney, or transferred to be named later take RJ Cole's spot. But then I'm, I'm also worried about who replaces Tyrese Martin. I mean, he, he saved UConn's bacon numerous times this year, uh, but kind of that got swept under the radar because RJ Cole was so good. Um, you know, who, who offers that type of size shooting? I, I, I mean, he, he played himself potentially into the pro conversation with his play this season. And I don't think UConn has someone like that, that they can just plug back in. Um, so I think the entire identity of the team is going to shift depending on what kind of point guard they can get. Um, you, you of course want to build around Sonogo, but like we saw this year, Sonogo was best when RJ Cole was firing on all cylinders. You know, you got to have that inside out balance. And right now you don't really know what the identity of the backcourt is. I mean, Andre Jackson is, is great, but you know, he's, he's so volatile where, you know, he's, he's going to wow you one moment and then, you know, kill you the next. So Hawkins, you know, had an inconsistent freshman year and, you know, will hopefully take a jump, but probably not to, you know, go to player territory. Uh, so I think that's the biggest question is not just the point guard, but the entire backcourt, you know, what is the identity of that backcourt? going forward. Yeah. I mean, one, you know, one name here that we need to remember is Corey Floyd Jr. Joined the team early, red shirted. Um, you know, I got to be imagining that they're pinning some hopes onto him. Um, but, but again, you know, uh, and, and that, you know, hopefully he can have a bigger impact than Russell Diggins had this year, uh, which was none. Uh, just given that, that Floyd got the chance to practice with UConn, get up to, get used to the college lifestyle, which can be a tough transition for some um, and, you know, get his uh, strength and athleticism up to, to compete at that level. I, I, in the absence of other names. Yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's Corey Floyd jr. And it's, and it's Andre Jackson um, and really hoping that both of them are, are able to take a step up. You never want to be counting on too many people taking some big step up that doesn't exist, you know, that we don't, that we don't know about. Um, I, I do think, you know, that there's like lots of talent on the roster. Um, the portal is going to have to be part of the answer here. Um, I think UConn's an attractive option for, for folks in the portal in this situation, right? Like you're talking about the potential to play alongside all of these guys that we're talking about right now. You play with, you play with a guy like Adama Sanogo, that can be good for your career. Um, and potentially same for, you know, playing alongside Floyd Jackson, Hawkins. Um, so, you know, that, that part of it is, it is, a, it is a very big deal though. I think um, they're going to have, have to add somebody in the portal, but the portal's a risk too. You know, it's, um, it's, it's played out relatively well for UConn, Cole and Martin, uh, for example, but 
Um, it's, it's always a risk that those types of players don't pan out as well. Uh, you know, maybe they come from the A-10 or whatever, and it's not, not an immediate, you know, translation of their game or, or what have you. So um, I do think that's a concern. And I think, you know, next year is a little bit more of a building year than maybe we are anticipating. And like Sean said, not a linear, not going to be a linearly, uh, a linear progression for UConn because um, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a much younger team next year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think we're forgetting that how how just how old this team was. You know, three fifths of the start three fifths of the starting lineup is going to be gone, and you are left with Sonogo, who's going to be a junior now, um, and Andre Jackson, who is not really an offensive contributor. You know, contributes in other ways. Great defensive player, great rebounder, not so great on the offensive end, and that's okay. You know, not ever not every single one of your starters needs to you know, hit 40% from three and go off for 15 a night. But, you know, you're going to be missing. Whaley's going to be gone. Cole and Martin are going to be gone. You know, that's three-fifths of your starting lineup. It's going to be interesting to see how how that uh, how that plays out because, you know, they with the senior leadership that they had this year that they're not going to have next year, they probably will take a step back. And, you know, that's okay you know, because those players will get that valuable experience and, you know, the year after will, will really be the key, I think. Yeah, I agree with Sean. Um, However, there is a chance that, you know, think about Johnny Davis of Wisconsin this year or uh, Keegan Murray. Those guys made astronomical leaps uh, I think they're both juniors from their sophomore to junior year. Um, you have to hope that with all the collection of talent, like you guys said, that someone makes that astronomical leap or they're, um, yeah, they're going to be in the rebuilding year, like Sean said. But what I do think is interesting is when you look at the ro- potential roster makeup, uh, and, and, and this is no disrespect to these seniors that are leaving, but you do have almost ready-made replacements you know, just need to be seasoned a little bit. When you think Alex Caravan, uh, you know, six nine shooter. Uh, so there's your there's your Tyler Polly in the waiting. Uh, a cook a cook can be the rim protector that Isaiah Whaley was. Now Whaley did so much more, but um, at least from a rim protection standpoint, that a cook can provide that. Uh, Corey Floyd can maybe. So that's. You know, those are two ready-made replacements that I think could help UConn, but they need they need Sonogo to become a star, or it's going to be a sobering year, I think, for UConn fans uh, as as they build towards um, 2023, when you have hopefully Stefan Castle coming in and a loaded recruiting class, Andre Jackson as a senior, uh, Jordan Hawkins as tough. You know, I think Sean's right. You kind of have to look at this as a two-year project from now to 2023 or 2024. 23, 24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They are adding, you know, we 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 would be remiss not to mention, of course, uh, the seven-footer, the five-star seven-footer from within our home state that is joining the team next year, Donovan Klingen. Um, you know, I am... And I think all UConn fans, I don't think we've heard much from UConn fans in terms of like expecting him to be some world beater the second he steps on campus. 
Um, and I'm happy about that because I think that's the right, the right assessment for someone who's been dominating the Connecticut high school scene um, and needs to uh, play in the Big East as of, uh, you know, is going to be in Madison Square Garden at this time, you know, around this time next year. That said, I do think Klingon is an interesting option next to Sonogo, you know, to bring onto the roster. Um, it'll probably be somewhat freeing for him to play alongside someone like that. Um, I don't know how much of a, you know, difference maker he can be uh, as a freshman, but I think that all just lends more credence to this idea that, you know, Klingon's probably not a one and done player. He might be a two and done just because seven footers are hard to come by. Um, and, and I think, uh, but, you know, worth mentioning that if we're just talking about next year's team, what their potential is, um, they are adding this, this skilled seven footer. Yeah, I think that they're right. Uh, I think fans are rightfully not uh, putting too, too much stock in a kid from Bristol Central going out and dominating Villanova right off the bat. With all due respect. With all yes, respect. with all due respect. It blows my mind that they did not get him out of public high school. Like, like when's the last time that they brought in a public high school kid? Little, uh, you know, like, yeah. it, I, I don't know how he did not get out of Bristol Central. Maybe he didn't want to, and good for him. He wanted to play for his hometown. You know, can't harsh him for that. But that would be that would be Tyler Olander. I think was the last. The Tyler Olander was the last public high school kid, right? It has to be. Um. Yeah, has got to be. <laughs> wow! Right. Big well, shoes, big awesome. shoes, big shoes for clinging to fill. Uh, yeah, uh, very big shoes to fill. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, you know, Donovan Clayton, good, good for him doing doing that. But but there are going to be questions about the level of competition, and rightfully so. Um, but all of that is just with respect to his ability to be an immediate difference maker, which all indications are that UConn's not necessarily looking for that next year which again, you know, might impact how aggressive they are or are not in the portal this off season, because again, to Sean's earlier point about the roster congestion, is it worth it to bring in a fill-in for one year if it's going to impact people's development who are going to be, you know, needing to play key roles for future teams? It's a tough one. And um, we've had a lot of I think some fair critique about like getting players involved, getting people in the mix. Um, so that, that might impact, you know, the, the portal, but if that's the case next year might be a, just a, you know, a little bit of a tough season to swallow for, for UConn fans. Yeah. I think um, th- there, there should be a lot. Well, I think back to like, you know, Creighton's big year was last year when they had Zigarowski and everybody, and, and they were they were a, a monster. That, that, that was an offensive team. Um, and, and then this year, uh, Coach McDermott, you know, remolded them around Brian Kalkbrenner, uh, the rim protector, and they became this defensive nightmare. I think that is the the path that Hurley and company should be taking when looking at next season and the season after that of you start to mold Klingon into that type of person where you kind of build the defense around and then you plug the pieces in around him, uh, whether it be the castle kid, Corey Floyd, Caravan Hawkins. I mean, there, 
there is a boatload of talent there um, and a lot of open shoes to fill. So I think they could be, you know, like I hate to bring up Creighton again, but like, you know, they lost everyone last year and, and look at the coaching job that McDermott did and turned them into, you know, um, the surprise of the big East with a top five recruiting class. I, I, I think Hurley has the ability and the talent around him to do it. It's just a matter of, is he willing to make the adjustments that we really haven't seen yet? All right. So um, we've, we've ruminated, we've ranted. Now we'll make some really irresponsible predictions. Um, where is Kamani Young next year? And um, who leads UConn in assists next year? And you can say someone who's not on the roster right now, if you want, but uh, is Kimani Young definitely out this off season? And uh, yeah, who's, who is going to be that leading, leading setter upper for the team next year? I will be very surprised if pleasantly surprised if Kamani Young does not get a head coaching job somewhere else. Um, I think the perfor- the coaching performance at the end of the Villanova game uh cemented cemented that he was gone and you know that's fine you know that's what you you don't want your assistant coaches for the most part to hang around forever that tends to mean you're doing something wrong if you're at UConn and your assistant coaches last 10 years uh with you know some small exceptions you know sometimes someone doesn't want to leave and that's fine but if you have a, an assistant with higher aspirations and they're not out that tends to not be a good thing um I don't know where to, I thought it was going to be Rhode Island but I've seen reports that they're hiring Archie Miller. So that 10, so that spots out. Um, I know UMass is still open. I think UMass is probably a job that's on par with Rhode Island. So it could be there, could be somewhere else that has, you know, not yet opened. Um, but as far as, I'm sorry, what? I said Xavier. Xavier. Yes. Xavier. That would be uh, real interesting. Xavier picks him up. I had forgot. I had forgotten that they fired Steele. Not sure why they did that, but whatever. Not, not my program. Not my problem. <laughs> um, as far as assists, I'm going to say it's Gaffney. I don't feel particularly uh, strong in that in that uh, projection, but he is currently the incumbent point guard. And if they do not bring in a guard in the portal, it's going to be his gig. So, you know, instead of counting on them bringing in a point guard that will be better than him, I'm going to say that it's him. Fair enough. Patrick, how about you? You want to get crazy? Let's get crazy. Um, Bobby Hurley, not doing a great job at ASU. Uh, I I don't think he's been whacked yet. Bobby Hurley gets whacked, comes to UConn, and we do a swap of Bobby Young or <laughs> Bobby Young, Bobby Hurley for Kamani Young, wow. and Kamani Young coaches Arizona State Sun Devils, and you got the Hurley brothers on the staff for the first time ever. That's exciting stuff. Let's let's get weird. Um, as far as the assists. I am still ride or die Russell Diggins. He barely played this year, but you know there there are there is a precedent for players to take a jump. You know, with ample playing time, I think he can be a table setter. 
Um, is he a game-changing, you know, go get you a bucket, Shabazz Napier, RJ Cole, those type of players? No. But I think he could be an, an effective floor general next year for a team that should score the ball decently well uh, inside. And I think he can – I just we, – what we've seen three years of Jalen Gaffney. And has, you know, has there been any sort of consistency? He will have some great plays and some great moments next year for sure. Um, but I just, I, I don't buy the consistency, which I think will eventually lead him to either playing as an off guard or being, you know, a spark plug off the bench. Uh, and so I'm, I'm rolling with Diggins. I know that's pro- that's going to look absurdly dumb in a year, but I, I, I have faith in that kid. I, I just think Philly point guards are a different breed. You rarely see one fail. Uh, and if he's given the green light in the off season, you know, Hurley sits him down and says, look, you know, tough year, you weren't ready, you know, but like, I'm going to give you a shot. I think he goes out and wins it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's a fair point just in that like point guard is a super tough position to play. It's not like any other on the court. Um, and sometimes can just be tough for a true freshman to step in. Diggins came in very highly, you know, highly rated. He was a top 50 recruit. Um, he also, you know, people were comparing him to Shabazz Napier in terms of being that like, uh, you know, tough, uh, tough point guard kind of player. Um, so it's, you know, anything is possible. All right. Sorry. One, one last uh, irresponsible prediction that I want you all to, to weigh in on is does UConn make the NCAA tournament next year? Yes. I think that because they're in the Big East, they're probably still going to finish in the top half. And I think that a top half Big East team that does not absolutely just crap itself in non-conference play, I think it's hard to keep a top four to five Big East team out of the tournament. You know, if they lose if they lose a bye game to Central or New Hampshire or somebody and they have a quad four loss or two because they're trying to figure it out in this transition year, then don't hold me to that. But, you know, this team's still probably going to finish four, fourth or fifth in the Big East. And if you do that and win a Big East tournament game, you're probably not going to get held out of the tournament, even if you're a 10 seed or some, you know, something to that effect. Fair enough. No. There we go. Well, um, no. And I, I hate, I'd love to be proven wrong a year from now, but the big East is going to, you know, there were a lot of young teams this year in the big East that, um, it wasn't really their time. Creighton is ahead of schedule. Butler is young and they could, you know, they are always around. Um, Xavier's new coaching change should maximize the talent they have. I mean, Jack Nungy could be play a conference player of the year next year. Um, so I think it's not more of UConn struggling. I just think that it would be really hard to crack the top five or six in that conference uh, next year because Villanova's Villanova. Um, okay. Marquette has another year with Shaka Smart. Um, Georgetown isn't going to be as historically woeful. 
and they have, I mean, Aminu Muhammad. <laughs> yes, they will. Maybe. <laughs> okay, yeah. Wait a second. They won't go. They won't go zero and twenty, but they're definitely not finishing above five hundred without some changes. Right. So I just think there's too much. There's too much strength in that conference, and this is a. And, and like Sean said, this is a. It's going to be a younger team next year, or maybe they do have. They slip up and have a. You know, an out of conference loss that you know will come back to bite them, and then you know maybe five hundred in the conference, and they're on the bubble or on the outside looking in. Maybe it, actually, I want to change. Say, no, no, I'm going to stick, stick with it. They, uh, they are not going to make the tournament next year. How, however, I'm going to, you know, asterisk that and say they will be a preseason top fifteen in twenty twenty. Uh, the following year. three twenty four. Yeah, the following year. Gotcha. Well, that's fun. That's a that's a good way to put a bow on on some bad news. I, I think it's going to be tough for them to make the tournament next year too. I, I would lean no um, if I just had to guess right now. My pick for the assists would be um, Andre Jackson. I'll just, just that was that was my wild card prediction. I was like, I was thinking about that after I gave my answer. I was like, maybe it's Jackson. Yeah, just so we have all of our bases covered. I mean, let's just say I'm going to go with Andre Jackson makes not the leap, but a leap. And uh, and becomes more of that, more of a facilitator next year, especially given the the big hole uh, at facilitation that that UConn has. Um, and then what was the oh, Kimani Young? Yeah, you know, I I don't pretend to know who's got coaching vacancies, but yeah, it seems very very likely that that he's out. So. Um, assistant coaches obviously play a very huge role in, in the makeup of the team. Uh, they're, they're key on recruiting. So it's going to be a very big hire if that vacancy does in fact uh, come up. So I think more importantly, uh, he, he definitely showed that he can do something. Uh, and, and for that reason, UConn's going to need to bring in someone of a, of a very high caliber uh, in order to replace him. Bobby Hurley. Great. <laughs> Bobby Hurley Jr., great choice. We shall see, but uh, whoever it is, it's going to have to be someone pretty darn good. The energy in stores, if the two of them are together, <laughs> that we like. I don't know if they could. Just, I don't, sure I don't can you just, I don't just see them could. like chest bumping or something like that? Like they're the, after a they're big the Harbaugh's. <laughs> yeah. Like the the Harbaugh's can't be on staff together because it just like, they just wrestle. On the, they just, like there would be weekly wrestling matches in the middle of the Champion Center. Yeah, yeah. They they chest bump and someone would break their clavicle, and so then we'd have to deal with the outcomes from that. So over under broken bones. If the two of them together, one and a half. Give me the over. Right. Right. Well, on that pleasant note, we are going to wrap up this podcast on the UConn men's basketball season. We laughed, we cried, but at the end, we cried some more, unfortunately. Sean Patrick, thank you guys so much, and uh, we will see you in the offseason. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm going to stop the recording.